Well, I just want to start by thanking the worship team for uh, making me cry this morning. That's what I wanted to do, getting out of bed. I thought I'd just go to church and cry, so thanks you for doing that. Um, in your chairs, there's a One Life card. Now, you may remember this from uh, last year. We, we talked about uh, focusing um, our life on a One Life, and so if you, if you did that last year, we're asking you to do it again because we want to commit ourselves as a church to praying for the people that God has put into our pathway, the people that we've, um, that we've identified that we want to affect for Christ. So uh, we'll, we'll take these up during communion, put them on the table, or we'll put them in the back as you're leaving. But I want you to keep that in hand as we talk this morning. I want you to be thinking about somebody's name as we walk together this morning. Um, what I want to do is sort of frame up this chair for so hang with me a little bit because what we're talking about is the pinnacle of what Jesus meant by discipleship. So when I was a kid, I, for me, light was a, was a very simple thing. It was like when the light's on, it's time to play, and when it's not, it's time to go to bed. And <clears throat> I would lay in bed at times, and I would see the shadows because I needed a, a light in the hallway to sleep, <laughs> to which my brother and sister really never let me live that down. But as I would see these shadows, I was pretty fascinated by light. And as I continued to develop that fascination, I actually studied light in, in college. I studied art, I studied design, I got into advertising as in, a, in a creative direction role, and I, I really committed myself to that and, and to studying the light that, that corporations and companies and people put on brands, and that became a career for me. Shortly after my career started, I got a knock at my door, my wife and I did, and it was somebody who introduced us to a different light. That was the light of Jesus. And so that changed everything for us. We landed in Bloomington to help start a campus ministry, and, and we've been here ever since. And so that's, that's light. But it's not always how, we, how it seems. As you, as you think about light, it's this. Like, the real light that comes always has a source of energy. And so the sun's light, you know, travels, emits photons, it emits energy, it travels, at, it's 93 million miles away, travels 186,000 miles per second. So if we walked outside right now, that light happened eight minutes ago on the sun. That's basically the, the concept. And so we see light, but it's not always how it is, because as we see light hitting objects, let's just say like a tomato, it's not always how you see it. What we perceive and what we see and what's really happening can be different things. And science is the commitment to the understanding of what really is. So those photons hit an object like a tomato and bend light and hit a, and, and the wavelengths, red being the longest, violet being the shortest. You remember RGB, Roy, Roy G. Biv, right? They create an object and so we see something, but it, in actuality there's something going on beneath the surface and that's the explanation of science. And God is that way. There's something else going on deeper than light. So we think a tomato is red, but it, our red might be different than the next person's red because our eyes are fascinating. There are over two million mechanisms in our eyes. And when light passes through the lens of the eye, hits the back of the eye and goes through transmitters and neurons and passes through 120 million uh, rods and 7 million cones, it creates color, and so we may, and that then transmits to our brain. Only a maker of the universe can create such 
in-depth detail. But is that really what's going on? So there's something going on behind all of the transmission. We just see one thing, but there's something else going on. Rainbows are that way too because light passes through a single drop and creates a color in that wavelength. And so we see this grand rainbow, but, it, but in actuality, there's something going on beneath it in science. So that's light. And, and darkness, we're going to go through the theories of darkness, which is pretty simple. The definition is when there's no light. Okay, so that's pretty much simple on darkness. <laughs> but there is something deeper going on in darkness as well. 1971, there was an experiment created at Stanford University called the Stanford Prison Experiment. Basically, Professor Philip Zimbardo created this opportunity to say, what really goes on inside of people to create darkness? And so they created a fictitious prison experience and tried to make it as real as possible. There were 25 students who were, uh, who were gathered and, and volunteered, who were paid $15 a day to basically go into prison. And so they, they arrested them. They, they, they orchestrated police to go to their homes and arrest them. Neighbors didn't know what was going on. They, they were trying to create as real experience as possible. They took them to a jail. They prosecuted them. They took them to a blindfolded them, took them to the prison, really didn't know where they were. They had created a, a, a whole prison scenario. And then essentially, hell began for them. Because the nine prison guards and the 12 prisoners who were there to simulate an experience created an experience. And as the prisoners went through the scenario and the prison guards played their role, trying to create as real a scenario as possible, they actually became their environment. The study had to be shut down after six days. It was meant to last two weeks. And one prisoner who was identified by a number, 416, he's in this photo with his head down. He says this, I lost my identity. The person that I called Clay, the person who put me in this place, the person who volunteered to go into this prison, because it was a prison to me, it still is a prison to me. I don't regard it as an experiment or a simulation because it was a prison and I became that in my identity. The person that I became was distant from, from me until finally I wasn't that. I was 416. I really am my number. The experiment concluded that the environment that we put ourselves in, the environment that we're in, can create prison-like experiences for all of us because of the darkness that comes out of the environment and the people who are looking to control our environment that we stand within each day. Another prisoner released from solitary confinement said it this way, after 37 months, the silence, the silence system was imposed on me, and even if I whispered to the man in the cell next to me, I would be beaten, sprayed, maced, stomped, and thrown naked on a concrete floor without bedding or even a toilet. I know that thieves must be punished, and I don't justify stealing even though I am a thief myself. I no longer think of becoming wealthy or even stealing. Now I only think about killing, killing those who have beaten me, treated me as if I were a dog. I hope and pray for the sake of my soul and the future of my freedom that I am able to overcome this bitterness and hatred 
which eats daily at my soul. And we sit here this morning and we say, oh boy, I'm glad that's not me. Because I probably would be the same. Well, we are all in a prison of some sort. The Bible says that we serve the prince of the air. That we stand in the midst of the prince of the air, of the evil one. And when we face people each day and we walk by them in a hallway and we pass them and, and that person has a smile or say, and we say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. I'm doing well. How are you? That's very common. We don't know the prison they're living in. We don't know the darkness that they have in their life. And we don't know what environment has created that. There's been books written even from the, there was a movie made out of the, the Stanford prison experience called, the, the guy who made the movie, or created the experiment wrote a book called The Lucifer Effect. It really is about the, that bad things that happen can be caused by the bad things of an environment. So the question is, are there really bad apples or are there just bad barrels that rot them? So you're sitting here this morning saying, well, listen, I'm, am I in a church or a science class? No, you're in, you're in a church. But this is not the church. John talked a few weeks ago. We are the church. Ecclesia, which is the word in the Bible, was really just a place. Church, really, actually, that word is not found in our Bibles. A gathering place, yes. But the church is you. And the church is me. And it can be confusing at times because you say, well, look, I... I know this chair four idea, like we want to bring people to, to church, and we do. And there's nothing wrong with that, and it's a good place. And even this morning, if we stopped, there was such a great worship experience, we'd, we'd be good for the day. But that's not the church. The church is not the place we go. It's who we are. So my goal this morning is that we would all kind of come around this idea that if we're going to be like Jesus, living in chair four, then we need to understand that what we represent is light in a dark place. And so I want to think about that just for a few minutes this morning. And re to recap, and there's a, there's a blue, uh, basically a cheat sheet on your seat that talks about the book, The Four Chairs. It talks about basically what that is and what our role is. And so you can look at that. But, but to recap, chair one is come and see, those who are spiritually interested. Chair two is, but, but still far from God, and many, many sit in that chair. Chair two is um, follow me, which is to make that decision. Next weekend is an opportunity like that to make that decision. Decide to join Jesus. Chair three is to fish for people. And many people stop in chair two and actually don't go toward chair three. Chair three is the place where the workers live. That's the place where the active kingdom workers are. And chair four, which we're going to talk about this morning, is the idea of bearing fruit. But what I want to keep pointing us to this morning is try to, try to remove this idea that I have a list, I have a group of people, and I'm just going to bear down and go do that work. What I want us to think about this morning is that we are here to shed light on darkness. And so I'm going to look at just one passage today about that. We're going to talk through Luke 
um, chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Now, in the beginning of the chapter, don't, don't just look at the, at the end. Look at the beginning of the chapter because there was, a, it says Jesus was with a group of disciples. And then one of them said this, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so Jesus starts teaching them and basically said, okay, so start with this. Our Father in heaven, great is your name. Mighty is your name. Impactful is your name. Beautiful is your name. Start there. Two things happen. Jesus pointed people immediately in praying to God. And the disciple had the heart that said, teach me. So before we get into the, the actual scripture this morning, I want you to check your heart. I want you to just to, to put yourself in a place that says, am I a teachable disciple? Am I teachable this morning? And am I willing to keep going back to Jesus and saying, Lord, teach us, teach me how? Because what that does in humility is it says, I can't do this on my own. And, and, and sitting in chair four is just that way. It's, it's not a place to walk alone. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus said that you are light. You are the light of the world, a town on a hill not to be hidden. He said that on the Sermon on the Mount. The point being, our light is not meant to sit inside of, a, inside of ourselves or in, uh, underneath something. And so Jesus taught in, in Luke 11, he was teaching the, the disciples and he was trying to work their hearts toward what is it that our purpose is. And he said things like this, if you read Luke, if you read Luke 11, a man who's hungry, you're not going to lock out if he's a friend. You're going to let him in and feed him, right? And he said, who of you among you would, would give a, your own child a snake when he asked for a fish to eat? So Jesus is here in this chapter working their hearts going, what do you really care about, people? Where is your heart today? And, and what is it that you have to offer? And then he comes to this point, which is we're going to read in, in starting in verse 33. He says, people don't light a lamp and then put it in a closet or under a basket. Rather, they place the lamp on a lampstand so that those who enter the house can see the light. Your eye is a lamp to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, see to it that the light in you isn't darkness. If your whole body is full of light with no part darkened, then it will be full of light as when a lamp shines brightly on you. So he, he goes back to this idea of light and darkness. The point being this, when we think of ourselves as a chair for disciple-making disciple, you got to remove yourself from the idea that, am I doing the action? And if I can just force myself to do the action, then does that mean I'm in chair four? And, and so I can check that box and I've arrived? That's not the point. The point of the entire concept of light and darkness is that you live in and have lived in darkness. And we face darkness every day in some way. Jesus rescued us 
and pulled us out of darkness and said, you don't have to live this way. This is not my plan. My plan is that you live in light, saved, secure, happy, looking forward to the day when I'll be with you forever. That is light. And so because we have that light, Jesus says, take that light and put it on a stand. Which essentially means this. Don't be afraid to go into the darkness with someone and walk beside them and help them find light. Jesus said, I did not come to heal the healthy. I came to heal the sick. And so our question this morning is are we willing to walk with someone who is sick? Who's in pain? Who's, who's looking to recover? Who's looking to be renewed and restored? Because their environment has put them in such a dark place that they don't know where to turn next. The chair four disciple says, I will walk with you and be light and life as Jesus himself has put that into me. And that's what this passage is about. Don't put yourself in a dark place. Remove yourself from darkness. Because when you face light, then you are the church. That doesn't happen by walking in a building. That happens by walking in a hallway with someone. That can be dark and damp. So, in order to be the chair four disciple, to meet someone is chair one, to commit to someone, to see a commitment in chair two, to be a sharer in chair three, to be a reflection of that light in chair four, you have to keep grabbing onto the energy source. You have to keep grabbing onto light and grab those around you to get you to that energy source because we face darkness. We can't escape it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere you want to be. Not to quote a MasterCard statement, but it is. Darkness is everywhere you, everywhere you want to be. So chair four disciples are like a mirror. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a mirror in a mirror? What happens when that happens? Just keeps reflecting. Just infinity goes back and forth. That's the idea of the reflection of the, of the Son of God. And that is our light. That, what a great responsibility. What a great opportunity. What a great joy. So we're going to end our time this morning. And we're going to talk about four light sources. Because I want to make this really practical. Because guess what? If you're sitting there thinking like, look, I'm not, I'm not a Bible scholar. Like, I'm pretty introverted. I kind of like my own space. Me too. Yeah, you're not... You're not alone. I would suppose if we went around the room and we said, when's the last time you knocked on somebody's door? There's a fear in that, right? So you're not alone. But, but what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about, about four practical environments that you're in where that relationship can be developed. So Dan Spader calls this the two wings of an airplane. An airplane doesn't really fly just with one wing. And that wing is the, the commandment and the commission of Christ. Go love God and love people. Love your neighbors, yourself. Those two commandments. And so sometimes we look at it and we go, well, okay, I'm just not there yet. I'm, I, I can't live up to that commandment. I, I don't think I'm spiritually mature enough. I don't think I'm deep enough in the word. I don't think my prayer life is, is deep enough. Me too. 
We are not alone. So let's, let's take this idea of light. Okay, so, so roll number one. And so, guys, I, I brought my four-in-one flashlight this morning, and you can't touch it. Um, but the first light is the laser light. By the way, nobody wants to have a laser beam on their forehead for very long. But as you think about the laser light in your environment, think about that as your intimate hallway. When, and, and what I mean by hallway is the church lives in the hallways of our lives. The hallways of our homes, the hallways of our workplace, the hallways of our communities, the hallways where we walk. That's where the church lives. That's where you live. And so the, the intimate hallways are those hallways of the, the two or three, one leader with two or three, the people that you would write on the One Life card today, the people that you would say, I think God's put me in this circumstance with this person. Now, that may be somebody in your home. That may be somebody in your workplace. But that's an individual, and you're, there's an intimate relationship with them based on the fact that you're meeting your, your interests wherever you happen to be with that individual. And that's the laser light. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, but he poured into Peter and James and John in, a, in an in-depth way because when they write about their relationship with Jesus, they write as a friend. And, and incidentally, those three became the three pillars of the church and the leaders of the kingdom. And so, laser light is a, is a very focused light. A flashlight's a little bit different in that you can see a little broader and maybe 10 or 12 people can follow a flashlight through a, a dark place. And so, so the idea of the flashlight is you have personal hallways, you have Intimate hallways with the laser light have personal hallways as well. And a personal hallway is going to be yourself, a leader alongside 10 to 12 people. Jesus went everywhere with his disciples, with the 12, talking to the 12, eating with the 12, traveling with the 12. This might be your small group. This might be a work group. This might be a community group. This might be an organization that has, that, but you, you have a personal relationship and, you, and you're active in that relationship. Who in your hallway is personal with you? Is there a name that you're thinking of because you're with those people a lot? That could be a schoolroom. That could be anywhere that you have these personal hallways. Then there's the, then there's the lamplight. And the lamplight is good because it's, it scatters around. It's a little broader. And that group is in your social hallway. Now, social hallways would be places like you've chosen to be that could be the gym, the YMCA. That, that there's a special interest there. It could be a club. It could be an organization. It could be a, an interest that you feel God has given you. It could be a motorcycle club. It could be anything. But that is a social hallway. The relationships are social. They're not necessarily intimate or not necessarily personal. For Jesus, that was the 72. And I suppose that those 72 probably were with uh, when, the, when the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost with 120, I would guess that the 72 were probably among them. But these were the people who were, who were following, but it was, there was a common interest. So in your own life, where do you find your social hallways? Where are those places that, that you just find yourself because of interest, and there's a common interest with somebody else? And is there a name in that social hallway? 
Is there a place in your social hallway? Is there someone who's facing darkness? Is there somebody who you're looking at to come around? And then the final light is the floodlight. I know I'm not lighting up the whole room right now, right? So just an illustration. But the floodlight is the place in, in the common places. So these would be in the crowds. Like Jesus sat among large crowds. So much so at times he had to push himself off into a boat so the crowds could see him. The Bible continues to say on and on that crowds followed Jesus. Where is your crowd? That could be an airport. That could be a ball game. That could be some place where your light is still an opportunity to reflect just based on your smile, just based on your attitude, just based on your walk, just based on how somebody might be influenced by you. And that crowd is a place what we call sort of the public hallway. So how do you reflect in that public hallway? So here's the takeaway. An intimate, personal, social, public hallway is dark for someone. Someone close to you, someone around you, someone who God has put in your pathway or has put you in their pathway. So, so that's, that's what's actually going on, like the photons <clears throat> creating a red tomato. There's a spiritual battle going on. The Bible says that our battle is not a flesh and blood. It's not a perceived flesh and blood. Our battle is spiritual. The evil one is working 24-7 to kill you and everybody around you to take them down. This is not a, this is not a light thing. This is, this is life and death. This is eternity one place or the other. So we say, well, well that, now I'm starting to feel guilty. That's not my intent. My intent this morning is an encouragement that says, you have a light. You are, Jesus said, not me, you are the light of the world. And through me, nothing is impossible. So you have to put yourself in an environment where you're being fed by that energy. That energy is essential. I like the way that, that Dave and John Ferguson in their book, Exponential, put this. I do, you watch, we talk. I do, you help, we talk. You do, I help, we talk. I watch, we talk. You do, someone else watches. Walking beside someone in and through darkness, out of darkness, into discipleship is not meant to, go, to be an alone thing. And I know our culture today says, you know, just do what feels right. But counter to culture, you never go alone, whether it's the hospital or the nursing home or the birthday party or the place at work, you, you don't go alone because you've got people in your hallways that need to hear about Jesus or need to be encouraged out of their faith to step out. And it is about shedding light in the dark place. So, everybody remembers the, the song, right? You can finish it because I'm not going to sing because you'll leave. <laughs> this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. 
That's the inspiration behind the, behind the song. I'm not going to put my light out and put it under the chair. I'm going to be in the chair to put it out. So in closing, we have a, um, we've connected with uh, Dan Spader's group who wrote the book and, and the topic of four chairs. And there's an app um, that you can look at uh, and find on uh, Sherwood Oaks website. So socc.org slash four chairs. It's called the Like Jesus app. You would enter the code SHER1596. <clears throat> There's content, the videos from the whole series, their devotionals, their places to put your, the names of the people you're thinking about. And those get prayed for, first names only, because this is a spiritual warfare that we're in. We're, we're fighting a battle that is, is deep and it's dark. But for us to live as chair four disciples, this is what it means. So this morning, we're going to take communion. And I want to ask you to do a couple of things. I want to ask you to think about that name. And you can bring that name up, or you can do it afterwards and write it and put it on the back tables. You just put them in the middle of the tables. But secondly, I want you to think about this, that every light has a source. Energy comes from the sun, and it, it means a lot because it lights up our world. It, lights up our, it allows us to do everything, to live. But the source of light in our walk is Jesus Christ. And as we take communion this morning, I want you to just think about the source and, and the pathway to your light shining on the darkness in your own life, lifting you out of that to help you recover from that darkness. So as we take communion and as we sing, um, that's our prayer. So let me pray with you. Father God, um, it's pretty heavy. Like we realize and we recognize that in your word it's pretty clear that, that, that we do live in darkness and that people around us do and that sometimes we get caught up in, am I... Am I active enough in the church? Am I going enough? Am I, putting enough? am I putting my time in? Lord, help us to move past that. Or give us the wisdom, give us the discernment to recognize that, that we, are, we are with you. We, if we've made our commitment, that we, we walk with light. And so as we take communion this morning, helps to think about the source of our light so that we can be a light to others in Jesus' name.